Welcome to this mini-sode of the podcast, Guess What You're Gonna Hate. I'm Janine. And I'm Kate. And this is a podcast about exposing someone to the very worst and sometimes best, but mostly worst pop culture of the 2000s. And that is not our usual Kate. This is actually our guest today, Kate Wagner of the Blog Week Mansion Hell. Hi, Kate. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How about you? Doing all right. I'm very excited to have you here today because on our mini-sodes, we discuss pop culture from the 2000s, ranging anywhere from celebrities to video games, and today, architectural and consumer trends. And I was really excited that you agreed to be on this show because I'd love to hear you talk more about the McMansion craze of 2000 to 2007 that ended with the housing crisis in 2008. So, Kate, I'm going to kind of let you take the lead on here, but I figured first we could just start with, what's the definition of a McMansion? I think anyone can kind of come to like a similar conclusion just by like empirical observation. But basically a McMansion is a house that's just too big. <laughs> it's oversized. It's not to the human scale. It's cheaply built. And by cheaply, I mean it, it, it wouldn't be cheaply built if it was an average house. But because it's so ostentatious, basically the cheapest possible materials are used in its construction. So it's just kind of like an irreconcilable uh, irony between <laughs> wanting to look extremely expensive and being on a, a budget that is not, we cannot affix marble to every <laughs> square foot of this house. And so also, of course, mismatch architectural features are the biggest signifier of a McMansion. So mismatched windows, windows of different sizes and styles, different cladding materials. So the whole house just kind of looks like a collage. Uh, and of course, the roof line, which is all different mixing and matching of different pitches uh-huh. of roof and even roof types, which is how you get with the the infamous nub, which is kind of this weird like pyramidal roof that is it is just somehow situated between like other roof types. So it just kind of looks like a weird nub. <laughs> Yeah, on your blog, I'm pretty sure you have a list of like a basically a dictionary of the terms that you use, like nub. I need to update that, I think, because I feel like I've gotten a more nuanced view of the <laughs> of the problem in the three years I've been doing it than the post I did that made the blog go viral. <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit more about your blog, like what you do? It's a combination of a humor and information blog. Try to be funny. Don't always succeed. <laughs> Same. <laughs> but it's a little easier on the web to succeed in being funny than being funny in real life. Mostly because I've been entrenched in internet humor since adolescence. Yeah. So I, it's just something that is like innate. I was born into, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> so basically, it, the, the blog McMansion Hell does these kind of house roasts, so to speak, of these of the most hideous houses right now from every state. Soon we're going to focus, after the, we get through the 50 states, there's going to be like celebrity houses, there's going to be historical ha- like mansions and talking about them and all kinds of other features that continue past the 50 states. Uh-huh. As well as uh, combined with kind of long-form essays about architecture, specifically about the built environment that people don't talk about in architectural history so much. So things like everyday houses, like vernacular, what they call vernacular architecture, but I like to call common architecture. Mm-hmm. Of course, I also write freelance. for. I'm, right now I'm an opinions contributor to Curbed, mm-hmm. writing mostly about the culture of housing. And I've written articles for The Atlantic and Architectural Digest and stuff like that. Yeah, I really enjoyed your articles about the house flipping craze on HGTV. Those were really good, too. I kind of can't help but love HGTV, even though I hate it. <laughs> but it really is. If you want to talk about things that in the 2000s were different, I mean, HGTV took like a 180 in the 2000s. Oh, yeah. In the 90s, because it had been around from, since like 1994. But HGTV in the 90s was about like shabby chic 
craftsy kind of cooking. There were cooking shows on HGTV for a while. Uh-huh. It was about like making crafts. It was about being handy and thrifty in your house and very much like kind of uh, what we would consider, and this is a passe thing, but what we consider like wives, like wife television, essentially. Uh, like daytime television for like homemakers. Mm-hmm. And then in, after the success of of reality shows like Big Brother and American Idol, then uh, HGTV started to really shift their programming to doing these like large scale like transformation style shows. That wasn't always their their plan. Yeah, you actually recently did one on on Williamson County, Tennessee, which I when I saw that I was like, wow, that's like close to home because I'm actually from the Nashville area, and it is just a mishmash of terrible architecture. It's so bad. Oh, it's so bad. When I first stumbled upon your blog ages ago, well, it feels like ages ago, but I guess it was only like three years ago, I started to notice a lot of the stuff looked very familiar, mostly because of the fancy neighborhoods around Nashville, because my parents as doctors had lots of, you know, friends who had too much money on their hands and thus lived in these really crazy neighborhoods of just these oversized, bloated houses. And when I would read your blog, it would suddenly make so much sense why I never felt at ease any of in any of those homes. They're really unsettling. So the thing with McMansions is that they're just inherently everything about them is inherently antisocial. Mm-hmm. It really is. It is, and I think that this is something that we lose track of in the history of the suburbs quite a bit. What we consider like the suburbs now are like really. I mean, there's the suburbs are like an onion. In the center is like there's the city, and then everything outside of that is just like these layers mm-hmm. essentially that you peel back. Suburbs that were financed by the federal government for white people. Mm-hmm. They weren't like what we consider to be the suburbs today so to speak back then like they were planned around like central amenities so there was like a school that was within walking distance they were stores there was church there were churches but like where mcmansions are is not is not that kind of suburb i mean these are what we call the exurbs usually is where they are which is the furthest flung ring of the suburbs close enough that a commute is still tenable but far enough that you can feel like you're in the wilderness and king of your own castle when we're talking about suburbs, we're t- small towns and other like kind of mm-hmm. uh, created communities, like golf communities and stuff like they're always like planned communities that are like a little different. I mean, these houses were built far away for a reason, and the reason why they have things like golf courses or like gated neighborhoods, for example, is just it's like exclusionary is is why suburbs I think are somewhat inherently antisocial mm-hmm. because a lot of flight to the suburbs was of course racially motivated and federally subsidized. Because of that, there's always been this kind of paranoia that has gone with, with the suburb. The suburbs are kind of inherently antisocial. Now, mm-hmm. uh, and I feel like McMansions, it's like especially so. Because the McMansion, to some extent, is this, this big statement about wealth. Uh, it, it really is a kind of cobblage of different architectural signifiers of power or wealth. It's one or the other. People mix and match, like, different architectural masses and, and windows so much. Because, like... I mean, one thing that I've seen on a lot of particularly terrible examples of McMansions is they'll have, like, some sort of weird, like, gothic-style window on above, like, the front door. Because, I mean, <laughs> that when you're bringing in elements of the church, of course, now you're, you're even more just, like, bringing in these elements of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the, the gothic window is, to some extent, like, a signifier of the church, which is, which is a powerful institution. Um, there's, like, a kind of piety to it that is slightly menacing. Uh, but also the, uh, you know, things like turrets, for example, like the castle. I mean, 
you don't have to be like a genius architectural theorist to be able to make one-on-one connections as to why people pick these motifs. <laughs> people want to look their house to look like a castle, but they also want it to look like a Mediterranean villa because they also want it to look like Versailles on the inside. I mean, it's all about power. Yeah. It's all about borrowing symbols of power and, and wealth from history. I mean... So the McMansion was, the 2000s was really the McMansion era, though I would say the worst McMansions are from the 90s. Yeah. Because, like, no one knew what was going on. The 90s were just this, like, period where, like, everything was happening all at once, (laughs) and it was so much. And then the 2000s were like, okay, here's, the internet is a thing, first of all. A bunch of people are going to get insanely wealthy. (laughs) Like, we're going to enter, like, a a period of, like, total, like, a really, like, nationalistic kind of period post Mm 9-11, including, like, a broadened security state, which, like, increased, like, the kind of mentality of paranoia that really drives this kind of, like, suburban isolation. But the McMansions, you know, they didn't cause the financial crisis, whatsoever really Mm -hmm. but what they did do is become like a very useful signifier of financial crisis but it's just incredible like the amount of like wealth that was built on betting on these like extremely toxic assets that like people knew were toxic but they said they were good anyways and it's like this is just a metaphor for the mcmansion in general it's like these toxic assets that everyone insists are good (laughs) but the mcmansion was really thrust into, like, the forefront of popular culture in the 2000s in a way that was, you couldn't turn on the damn TV without seeing a McMansion, it felt like. I mean, first of all, I was an obsessive watcher of two things, HGTV and MTV Cribs when I was a kid, (laughs) because Cribs was the only show on MTV my parents would let me watch. (laughs) <laughs> and my parents didn't know who the hell any of these people were, but it was just a show about houses, so, like, what could go wrong? <laughs> the 2000s really were the consummate, like, era of the socialite, of the, like, millennial socialite. So, like, mm-hmm. Paris Hilton, for example. Exactly. I was just thinking Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie, even watching the first episode of The Simple Life now, is like, this, the, the, the house that they have their party at looks so just extravagantly useless. Oh, it's so true. Yeah, I mean, I was never allowed to watch The Simple Life, but I did watch it when I was an adult. And I was like, God, this was all of our culture, though. And yeah. it really, I mean... <laughs> it's a microcosm. It really is. It's crazy. Everyone wants rhinestones that spell out their name on their yeah. shirt. And, like, it was like, oh. <laughs> when I was in, in... It was all tied to these things. It was all about signs. It wasn't about actual material goods. It was all about, like, these symbolisms, these signs, these things that were assimilated into like a package that could be like consumed essentially mm-hmm. so this philosopher frederick jameson talks about postmodernism as like a pastiche is like just like this assimilation of different signs and symbols from different architectural periods like all cobbled into one vague nostalgic image mm-hmm. god that's everything from disney world to like mtv cribs to i mean frankly fixer upper is no different Things just because there's like a vague blanket of historicism doesn't mean that it's really any different than like pretending, like sponge painting the interior of your walls to look like they're like yeah. a Tuscan retreat. <laughs> My sister's bedroom is sponge painted. <laughs> there was this one H, I think it was HGV. It might have been the other room improvement chant, whatever. There was another one. I can't remember. But um, it was something about like room swap, like improving people's rooms. And they would take like, oh, yeah. they would take like one facet of someone's personality and then devote the entire oh, room. Oh, like trading spaces. Yeah. Kind, I, I mean, yeah. maybe. I, I just remember I, I loved that oh, show. So cool. <laughs> and I actually was 
I had this idea I was going to turn, because that was around the time that uh, Pirates of the Caribbean came out. Oh, yeah. And there was that whole internet culture, pirates or ninjas, and I was firmly team pirate. And I actually bought a pirate flag, I think from Disney World. And I had it in my room because I was convinced that one day I was going to turn my entire room into like the facade of a pirate ship, complete with like a terrible trunk of fake gold coins and stuff like that. And every time I see that flag, I just remember that like, that whole craze to just take things over the top. Theming, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that was, like, more of a thing in, like, the 90s, but it held over into the 2000s in, like, really weird ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, people did themed basements a lot. Like, they would do, like, a Las Las Vegas-themed basement was, like, the most common one. Yeah. (laughs) Where you would have, like, poker tables and, like, you live in the middle of frickin' nowhere. Like, it takes 30 minutes for any of you to visit, anybody to, like, visit your ugly house. Like... Who are you playing poker with? Do you, like, call your family and make them, like, sit through this misery where you pretend to gamble? Do you make your, like, (laughs) wife, like, fix you cocktail drinks? I just, like, what kind of psychology? Dude, it's just, like, this aspirational thing. It's, like, for the socialite that I may one day become. (laughs) And I'm, like, you watch House Hunters in, like, 2005, and it's all about entertainment space. Like, I need, like, a formal living Uh room, a formal dining room, like, a foyer, like, all of this, this, just, like, a thousand square footage devoted to, like, entertaining. And it's, like... And it's, like, these people design their houses around, like, the worst-case scenario of entertaining, right? So it's, like, first of all, like, all of your in-laws and family members are living with you now for some reason. And second of all, also, there's a, you're holding a party for 100 people, and they're, the purpose of the party is for them to all be there judging how cool your house is. Like, that's how these people, like, design their houses. It's, like, what if I'm held on tribunal for my house not being cool enough? I have to have a pool table. Like, it's, like, there's a show trial, and, like, everyone's, like, how dare you not have dimmable, like, can lights in your bathroom? I don't know. It's just, like... <laughs> Heated floors. They have to be there. <laughs> Heated floors are a luxury, though, especially in the, like, if you're in a cold place. But <laughs> that's something I can see myself having. At, at, like It's, like, I think about, like, like, bogus luxury crap that I would have. And this is a fun mental game to play because, like, I will never, like, live in an apartment without laminate countertop. But, uh... <laughs> It's like bo- like bogus luxury stuff. I'm like, okay, I want one of those walk-in showers with more than one shower yes. head. Like I in t- a seat. I want to sit in the shower. <laughs> and it's not the same if you put like an IKEA stool in your bathtub. It is not the same thing and you know it. It's not the same. <laughs> those McMansions from the 2000s are really like trying to make your house look like Disney World. Uh, and I think Cribs Cribs it's we always so we always try to put like a lot of emphasis on media for, like, why things look the way they do. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this is a warranted emphasis in the 2000s because it was such a media-saturated age in a way that, like, the 90s wasn't. Absolutely. Cribs is, like, a trash TV show, and I watched it religiously. And, like, the first thing they would show you was the fridge every time. They would be like... And you'd be like, he get, the guy, like, opens up his fridge, and there's, like... And the fridge is just stacked with bottles of, like, Dom Perignon or something. <laughs> just, like, booze fridge. And then, like, regular fridge. Like, what's in your fridge? And usually there's, like, nothing in the fridge because, like, that's how rich I am. I don't have to eat. Yeah. I definitely agree with you. There was a big emphasis on just taking everything to the most extreme level. It was so much. Like, with Cribs and with, of course, Pimp My Ride, too. It was that same Dude, thing. Pimp My Ride is the McMansion of... Because uh... yeah. <laughs> it's literally, like, these things have no functional point on the car itself it's literally just aesthetic only that like pimp my ride always had this like kind of like self-aware thing where it's like we know white people watch this <laughs> so like it's gonna be really goofy and it totally felt that way i mean but cribs was like 
there was never a house on Cribs that wasn't just like insanely like over the top. And I don't think Cribs entered necessarily entered like the the popular consciousness in the, in the same way that like House Hunters did. Mm-hmm. But House Hunters really did like give people this. A way of thinking about houses as a checklist that they maybe have not before. Like, if you want to do an ethnography of, like, checklists, uh, like, in, in housing, like, they've always been there. It's always been, like, think about what you need for you, your space, this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. It was all about, like, but it was an emphasis on space planning. Like, you want your house to be efficient. You want it to work best for your family. You want it to do this. And that was really, like, how houses were thought of as far as, like, the checklist work was concerned. Like, I mean, if you look in decorating books or, like, house planning books from, like, you know, anywhere from, like, you know, the 1890s, basically up until the 1980s, it was all about, like, how to make your home the best fit for your family. Mm -hmm. There was less uh, emphasis on, like, the rationality of the home and how it was planned out and the way that, like, circulation worked and all this other stuff. And it more became about, like, what shit do I have in my house? You see, like, a really dramatic shift in house planning books and books for interior design from both at the high culture level and at the popular culture level in the 1980s, you really start to see things where it stops being about, okay, like, how can I best plan my space for optimum use to make sure that I get the most out of all of my space and the most of my money? This is a correlation, not a causation. But part of this had to do with the change in home financing that happened in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. So home financing started to become liberalized. Fewer regulations on things like mortgages then I think that housing really started to shift after that. I mean, there's just like a marked aesthetic shift. Housing finance became started to become deregulated. Their, the house size started to grow. And this is partially because of like stimulus that was related to like recessions in the 70s and like just trying to get housing and like construction productions up to improve the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you started to see houses that were like kind of the upper echelons of middle class wealth. So like these kind of like Weird, like, colonial revival houses in the 50s, 60s, 70s, like, started to get a lot bigger in the late 70s, uh, in the early 80s. Like, the, the, the sort of proto-McMansions started to form, and they borrowed a lot of elements from different, like, vernacular styles, and they, they kind of cobbled them all together. But in the, the late 70s and early 80s, you really start to see, like, an aesthetic form. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, in the 2000s, when, uh, of course, when, like, housing financing was just, like, things like liar loans or, like, ninja loans, where it's, like, you just, like, didn't have to have a job and any income, no assets, and you can just get a house. You can just get a mortgage. And this predominantly targeted low-income people, frankly. It was mostly, actually, people who were low-income uh, or, like, immigrants, people of color. All those people suffered the most when 2008 blew up. Mm-hmm. Houses started to get, like, really big really fast, and they started to look a certain way, and they started to be- become these like weird like freaky machinations of architecture yeah i I, i'm really like trying to study this historically is very difficult because in any kind of you know architecture there is no first example there's like no first mcmansion in when you're studying common architecture just like there's no first bungalow there's like no first example that you can point to Mm -hmm. But you can see how things change through time. And I think McMansions got, like, the most... They were the ugliest in the 90s, but they got the most insane during the 2000s, especially right before the recession. Mm-hmm. You see, like, these insane, like, castle houses, like, houses that are just built to look like castles, like, <laughs> insane, like, pools with, like, thousands of waters. I mean, just, like, just like really off-the-rail stuff. And, and the culture was just about, like, these, these symbols. 
Yeah, it's it's like a basically putting forth the image that you're successful, that you have these things by instead of building something that is high quality and is useful for your family, buying into something that is just a way to prove that you have the money to to waste on these sort of things. I mean, I think that frankly, like like when you're when wealthy people build their big houses, use is not never a thought actually. Because it doesn't, like, use does not matter to them because they can literally do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. When, like, with, like, the middle class or, like, working class house, use is very important. Like, how can I make the best use of my space? Like, how, what can I, how can I get the most use out of what limited resources I have? But when you have unlimited resources, use means nothing. And so that's why the houses are the way they are. That's why the layouts make no sense. And that's why it's actually quite laborious to walk from one end to the other to the, of these houses. When you are working on something without constraints of any time, whether it's time constraints, whether it's like some sort of programmatic constraint, whether it's like writing a novel with only the word E, (laughs) with only like with every word starting with the letter E, it doesn't matter what kind of constraints you have. Those kinds of constraints are important for making art Mm -hmm. and they're especially important for making architecture. Like if you just give an architect be like, yeah, do whatever you want. I mean... It's first of all, it's never do whatever you want because they're going to nitpick everything you do anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, where do you start from with that? There's no place to start. There's no like, there isn't any kind of way to, to especially when you're planning a space. Like, you need some restriction yeah. because essentially, space, like architecture, is creating a volume within which something occurs. Everything outside of that volume is, you know, everything else. But architecture is about planning space for use. And it's about doing so efficiently while also, like, of course, making some sort of artistic statement. Uh, and when, when use is no longer a factor, you know, that's very, first of all, frustrating to the architect, especially mm-hmm. modern architects. And also, it's not that builders are inherently, like, less moral or, like, have any less necessary, like, house-building talents than architects. It's just that architects are trained to think about space in a certain way. And builders and carpenters are trained to think about space in a different way. Mm-hmm. And it's not that one is better than the other. It's just that they're very different. But it's not as, I mean, the proof in that is, like, I mean, look at Biltmore, for example, which was built by, like, an architect. And it's, like, huge, this beautiful house. Like, but it's, it's, it, it really is, like, not that much different from a McMansion because it's just, like, an insane castle that someone with an insane amount of wealth built to show how much power and money they had. I think one of the most telling things that I found on your blog was where you pointed out like how the ceilings look in certain places. And oh how, yeah, isn't that doesn't that drive you insane? Like, yeah, and like how literally you could tell that the point of this building was not for the internal use of it, but just for how it looked on the outside. Oh yeah, it's everything is shaped to the outside. Yeah, I mean, and and as you notice, so all those ceilings, so like in the in the parts of the interior which are about wow factors, they used to say on HGTV. Uh, was, like, the foyers and stuff. You never see any, like, problematic ceilings in the foyer. <laughs> or, like, and you never see any problematic ceilings, like, in, like, the public, so-called public spaces, like the formal dining room or living room or whatever. But you mm-hmm. sure as hell see them in, like, the bedrooms. Mm-hmm. And, like, the places where they can, like, hide away from, like, the, the viewing eye of others. And it goes to reinforce that, like, all these houses are not necessarily created for their inhabitants. And they're created for the impressions of strangers. Yeah, and which is why it can feel so alienating to be inside of one. I mean, think about how, like, virulently antisocial that is. Instead of, like, building a house for you and your family in your everyday life and the thing that is, like, you know, the place where you make your memories and, like, you know, all that sappy stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or even making a great piece of architecture. Instead of thinking about those things, 
you design your house around making somebody else feel inferior. Yeah. Because it's not about making, like, it's not about showing off how much wealth you have. Because you can do that with, like, a fancy car, I guess, or whatever. But it's still the same idea, though. Uh, it's about making other people feel inferior. But it's proper etiquette when you go and visit someone's house, to, especially if they're hosting a party or something, to say how wonderful their house looks like. Yeah. How wonderful their house looks. I mean, my, that was what, my parents drilled that into my head. You go to somebody's house and you always compliment them on how nice their house is. And, of course, they're like, oh, it's so messy, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like this, this like, play, a prearranged, like, social play that happens mm-hmm. when you, like, are into somebody, allowed into somebody's private space. But with McMansions, it's not, I mean, and some of like, oh, this is nice, you know. But it's not about that. It's not about, like, eliciting what is already, like, an expected form of etiquette. It's already an expected cultural norm to compliment the host on their house. It's not about that. It's about making someone feel like, oh, this is nice, and I feel like crap that I can't have anything. I will never have anything as nice as this. I feel, like, small and, like, closed in and... And at the same time, like, the people who are living in there, like, I feel like... Even just from the people who I visited who had these kind of, like, built and then they bought into it. They didn't oversee the build, right? Like, it was just built for these people to spend all their money on. Yeah. And you go and visit, and if you stay there for a longer time, you realize there's cobwebs on these, like, 20 feet tall ceilings or however tall they are where you can't even reach up there to clean. Yeah, you can't. There's no practicality. And, of course, people are like, how do you heat and cool this? And how do you clean it? And it's like they're rich and they pay someone to do it. Yeah. It doesn't matter to them. It doesn't. It's just it's just about the appeal from the curb and things like that and about how people feel when they come into it, not when they live there. It's crazy. I think it speaks a lot about, like, wealth. Uh, one of my favorite, like, so I've been watching episodes of The Simpsons, like, the good seasons, <laughs> uh, like, 1 through 12. And the funniest character on The Simpsons is, to me, it's actually Mr. Burns, I think is actually the funniest character on The Simpsons because he's just, like, it's, like, first of all, the joke is that he's from, like, the 19th century, which is, like, already funny. But also that, like, he's just, like, extremely, he's extremely wealthy and powerful, but totally feckless. Like, he cannot, like, he can't, like, lift a fork or something. He'll just be, like, pitiful. <laughs> like, he has to have everything done for him, and it's so, like, pathetic. But he doesn't see it that way because he just sees it as, like, everyone having to serve him. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it, like, from a different lens, he's, like, this, like, pathetic, like, incapable, like, feeble person who has, like, ceded all of his agency to having everything done for him. Mm -hmm. And so it's, like, I really think that, like, that's really telling... I mean, the fact that that's, like, a trope of rich people in general is extremely funny to me. (laughs) Because, like, here... It it, it proposes, like, a sort of dichotomy, right? Because here are, like, the wealthiest and most powerful people in this country, a country that is, like, essentially ruled solely by rich people, including, like, the political system. Mm -hmm. And... At the same time, like, they can't fend for themselves. Yeah. Like, they have all this power, and yet they are powerless in, like, everyday life. Yeah. And I think that really does speak to both a cultural trope, but also it speaks a lot about, like, the integrity of of wealth. Yeah. I mean, even with in the 2000s, like, if we point to the simple life again, that whole idea is that these people are so incredibly rich, these socialites have no idea how to exist in the real world among common people and work for a living. They literally have no reason to. It's it's very strange because it's put there as like, oh, look at these rich people. You know, they have they don't understand what it's like to live like us. But then also their wealth is shown as something to aspire to. Exactly. Yeah. The simple life is really interesting in that regard, I think, because it's like, yeah, the goal is to be like so that you don't have to do anything. (laughs) It's capitalism and it's a world 
that is based around creating huge profits. It's a world that's based around making tons of money. Yeah. Well, same with the McMansions too, right? Oh, like yeah. a lot of these things are just built with the cheapest materials possible with like styrofoam uh, facades because they know that it just, they don't care about whether or not it's actually got value. It's whether it looks like it does. And it's not only that, what's the funniest thing ever though about like HGTV in the 2000s, especially like before the bubble burst, it was all about resale value. I mean, all of HGTV's content in the 2000s was about selling and buying houses because it was a game Americans played because you could just get a mortgage by winking. <laughs> uh, it was So it was all about, like, you need to have this, 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 and this, or your house won't sell. It was insane. It was you have to have, like, granite countertops, wood floors, this, 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 and or else your house won't sell. And it became, like, life or death. I mean, there are all these shows, like, designed to sell. And, like, you know, all these shows about buying and selling houses. Now, like, HGTV has shifted post-recession more to, like, makeover shows. Mm-hmm. Like, just, like, home design shows. And But in the 2000s, almost all of their content it was, like, sure, there was the house flipping shows, but it was about selling the house. <laughs> so, Kate, it's been great talking to you today. If our listeners want to find you online, where can they find your presence, like your blog or anything else you want to share? So the blog is McMansionHell.com. I'm sure if you Google Kate Wagner architecture or something, then it'll, like, <laughs> you can find all of my articles uh, and of course, I'm on Twitter at McMansion Hell. Uh, if you want to see my unhinged tweets, um, <laughs> which are mostly just like errant thoughts that I have in my head that I should not be broadcasting to thirty thousand people, but do so religiously, anyways. It's very entertaining. I and I will also include links in the show notes to your website, of course, and anything else as well. You guys know where to find us. We're at hatepodcast.com on Twitter at Hate Podcast, and on Facebook at Guess What You're Gonna Hate. And as always, if you have any suggestions, you can email us at Guess What You're Gonna Hate at gmail.com. And also, we recently received some stickers with our new logo on it, drawn by Jamila Walgren. So if you're interested in receiving one, be sure to submit a review on Facebook or iTunes, wherever you'd like, and just email a screenshot in your address to guess what you're going to hate at gmail.com, and I'll send you a sticker. So, Kate, thanks again for coming out, or thanks again for tuning in, or I don't know. Well, how do I say this? It's weird when it's a podcast. Yeah, I guess it's like for chatting, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it's like <laughs> thanks for sharing your time with us. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, thank it. you for having me. Of course, I love talking about guess what you're going to hate because uh, this is my whole life is <laughs> hating something specific. <laughs> Yeah, it's very on theme for sure. <laughs> it's on brand. <laughs>